I'm Will Rycroft and the noise that you can hear around me is the hustle and bustle of a book festival. Now readers know that meeting a favourite author can be a real moment to savour and book festivals offer you the chance to do that again and again. And book festivals don't get much bigger than the Edinburgh International Book Festival which runs from the 12th to the 28th of August. With so much on offer for readers of all ages, I decided to roam around with my microphone and speak to the authors Josie Long, Monica Heisey, Will McPhail, Brandon Taylor and Kay Patrick, as well as some of the people attending the festival to see events, just to show why we should all be celebrating the return of in-person events and the sheer diversity of what they can offer. First on my list before they went off to do an event together were three writers who were always concerned with making readers laugh. I spoke to Josie Long, Monica Heisey and Will McPhail, beginning with Josie and asking about the similarities between writing stand-up and writing her short stories. It sort of strangely is the style of writing I'm accustomed to and I think the other thing that translates is when you're writing stand-up you really must cut to the quick and you really must think about what is necessary and what isn't and I think that that's something with I suppose with any writing you'd hope but like I think definitely with short stories you're like I don't want there to be any fat on this yeah. I think as well um, as a stand-up you write quite observationally and I'm always collecting things and collecting details and I felt like writing short stories I could put more range of details in because they didn't have to necessarily be a joke or an amusing thing um, but um, and I also think at the end of short stories you're very entitled to do a punchline albeit not necessarily a comedic one so you're very much allowed to be like there's going to be a killer final line get this <laughs> um, but at the same time what the part of the joy of writing fiction was the fact that it wasn't like writing stand-up for me it was like allowing myself to not conform to these certain things that I've built up for myself, like not having to undermine seriousness or puncture sincerity or flow in a particular way, and that was really exciting. Nice. Monica, I'm going to come to you now because you obviously have experience of working within the group of a writer's room on a programme, a personal favourite of mine, Shits Creek, thank you very much. Um, but how was it different to then have total control over something like a novel? It was really intimidating at first. Um, I think I really missed, particularly because I wanted to write a comic novel, and I just think writing writing comedy is so... The, the best way you can do that is in a writer's room. It's such an intuitive, easy, joyful, uh, simple way to get the funniest possible setups and punchlines. Um, so to, to have to be that just myself, just saying, what do we think, guys? And have to answer that alone um, was really stressful and kind of uh, crazy-making, really. But then I think once I got into the other parts of writing sort of um, all of the constraints of making a TV show just melted away so you know there was no budgetary issues anything could be set anywhere we could have as many people in the scene as we wanted the weather could be exactly how I wanted and that suddenly felt really um, empowering and great to the point that now it's it's sometimes hard in scripts to be like it's gonna be a perfect day and then we get there and it's you know it's raining and we have to actually be inside and I'm like oh I wish I was at my desk <laughs> <laughs> and um you uh, have been at pains to point out that despite any similarities to your own life, uh, that this is a novel and not a diary. I very much enjoyed your article that made that very clear in the New Yorker. But do you find yourself still having to make that clear to people, especially at events like this where people are asking questions about the novel? Sometimes people will, I mean, I have done myself no favours at all by naming the character Maggie as well, my name being Monica. I think that's a, that's like people are, are mixing that one up 
pretty regularly. And I, I guess I can't blame people for making those connections. You know, it is inspired by feelings I've had and experiences I've had. And I gave the character a really similar physical profile to me because I wanted to write about body image and what it feels like to look a certain way. And I, I know the most of what it looks like to look like this. And also, like, my mom thinks the book is a documentary that I made <laughs> about my <laughs> own experience. And if my mom thinks that, I can't really expect other people not to. So I've, I'm slowly letting go of that kind of elision that people are making. Well, um, I'm going to come to you now. You, of course, are a resident of Edinburgh. Uh, so I wonder how it is to be attending something like the book festival uh, as an author rather than uh, as a punter. Um, yeah, I, I, I like it, and the fringe as well is the same thing. There's a lot of uh, locals who sort of get a bit jaded by the fringe when it comes along, but because I'm like a, I'm a fun uncle, and that's what it feels like Edinburgh is when it comes here, that we get all this fun shit to do for like a month, and then it just gets packed up and taken away, <laughs> and we can relax and watch Too Hot to Handle again. Um, but yeah, it's like, the because like my family are from here, and... I've lived here for like six years now. It's honestly just, just feels like an enormous privilege to actually interact with the city in a way that feels less detached than I usually am to it, you know? Because like, as I sort of explored in a lot of my work, it can be quite isolating my job. And so it feels really great to actually see people and talk about my work. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was a huge fan of In, your graphic novel. Oh, thanks. Um, but it seems to me that the process for making that must have been so different to what your showcasing in your new book which is your cartoons yeah is that true is it is it a very different process yeah definitely yeah the i mean the 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 second book love and vermin came out really as a result of me pitching that one i pitched this intimate weird graphic novel and the publishers were so uh unconfident in that doing it doing well that they said give us a cartoon book as well <laughs> so that's basically where it came from but i used to i was obsessed with calvin hobbs and he would do bill watson would do collections so there was a romance in that to it but yeah that and you know i did in during the pandemic so i was basically alone for the whole thing and this was much more collaborative and joyful yeah so it's a different experience and this is a question i suppose that will be appropriate for all of you to answer but i'll start off with you will because it's that question of like what makes things funny now this is a ridiculous question of course but for you will working in a visual medium is it the picture that you can see immediately or is it the idea you have for the joke that you then make visual yeah i've got a very visual brain i don't understand you guys letters and numbers and stuff <laughs> whereas obviously the number 12 i just see a cat no i yeah i've uh, i it's the, yeah, it's the visuals for me. I, although, interestingly, they come like right at the end of my process. It's all just like stream of consciousness in a notepad. And then the drawings are like a little treat at the end. But I don't truly see how funny the cartoon is going to be until I see it. Yeah. Monica, I'm going to come to you. Writing comedy, I mean, my, my question really is how? How do you go about making something funny? <laughs> uh, I think the main thing, whenever anyone asks me how they can be a better comedy writer, how to write comedy, is to understand what makes you laugh, to have a really developed sense of your own sense of humor, because if you are not tickled by something, if, if you don't find it amusing and silly and ridiculous, chances are nobody else will. So genuinely, my big tip is just to make a very long list of things that you always find funny. Um, and if you're struggling, you can go back to the list and be like, should we put some bees in this? <laughs> can I just say... Josie's, I was going to say, you were nodding hard. Yeah, well, when you asked that question, I was thinking, how the hell does anyone answer that question? And then when you did, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's right, actually. Yeah. That is actually how you do it, yeah. yeah <laughs> so it was good. Very, very glad to have you on the team here. Because <laughs> if you'd have asked me, I'd have been like, well, good luck to you. <laughs> Josie, Monica, and Will, thank you so much. Have a great festival.
One of the great successes over the last year or so has been Alice Oseman's Heartstopper series, aided of course by the Netflix TV adaptation. At their event at the Edinburgh Book Festival, there was a signing in which the queue snaked all over the village, so it gave me a great chance to speak to some of them about why they were there. Alice Oseman is signing books as we speak, and I'm here in the queue with people who are waiting very patiently. Uh, and I would love to know a bit more about why they're waiting, why Alice Oseman means so much to them, and indeed Heartstopper. And I have here... Uh, Benjamin. Benjamin, <laughs> tell me more. Um, so I got into Heartstopper uh, at a pretty dark time uh, in my life, but um, I related a lot to the main characters and how, like, the gritty portrayals of, like, how real life is for queer people. And I related to a lot of the experiences that, for example, Charlie was going through. So it really helped me feel a lot better within myself to know that like, I'm not alone because it genuinely was the first time I fully seen myself in a piece of media that fully encapsulates everything that I go through in life. That's fun. That is fantastic to hear. One thing to read the book and to feel that, and another thing I suppose to be able to meet the person who created that book, what does it mean to you to be able to speak with Alice today? Well. Her books have made such like a positive impact on my life, so she means a lot to me, and ev like her creations mean a lot to me. So I'm really excited, and it means a lot to me to be able to see her. My name is Katie. I'm here to uh, get my book signed for the Heartstopper, the first book, um, and I just love this series a lot because it, it represents everything so well, and um, just it's like it's just really generally hard to you know like get like because like in this line there's so many people here it's like everyone's going to be fine with it but if this was happening in like somewhere like my school people will be yelling at you and chucking stuff at you oh i just like it because i, I generally like uh, bls and stuff like that so and it's really good seeing one that's actually like really wholesome because some ones i've read are just really just strange in general so that's just like a wee warning for people who want to read bls they're just sometimes they're just really out there and you just you know if you want to go for something really slow and steady then heartstopper is definitely a good choice and stood next to you in the queue we have <laughs> Uh, I'm Paige and uh, I'm here to meet Alice as well and I don't know I just really love Heartstopper because it's really wholesome and it was sort of the first uh, representation of bisexuality that I'd seen um, in sort of mainstream media and I've got a tattoo as well for Heartstopper and yeah I just really love it and it's helped me a lot with my mental health as well because I align with Charlie and what he goes through especially with like OCD and everything it was sort of the first thing again that I'd seen where you know it was I guess shown to everybody and it, it was really nice to see that representation and I wish I'd had that when I was younger. So, That's yeah. fantastic thank you both so much it was really good to speak to you. Edinburgh's Book Festival is of course international in nature and I got the chance to speak to American author and Booker Prize nominee Brandon Taylor ahead of his event. Brandon, we're here at the uh, Edinburgh Book Festival which is on the campus of the Edinburgh School of Art and so my first question to you is why uh, do you find the campus such a rich soil in which to do your work? Oh, I mean, I think a campus is a great space uh, for drama because it has all these people from different walks of life, people from different class backgrounds, and they're all brought together under a pretext of like learning and figuring out who they are. And so it's a really wonderful like narrative ready-made where you have people in the midst of their life hopefully figuring out something new about themselves, coming up against people who the likes of which they've never encountered before, and, and, and I love that. I, I find it irresistible. <laughs> we're obviously, um, we're in Edinburgh uh, at the moment, where the book festival's going on, there's also the Fringe Theatre Festival, there's comedians all over the place. There are all these creative people who are really sort of like struggling often to break even in some cases, and you've spoken a bit about the sort of 
precariousness of creative pursuit. Um, and sometimes when it means that you have to sort of write things you don't really have much interest in in order to sort of like pay the mm -hmm. bills. Do you mind telling me a little bit, is that sort of, do you think that's just part of creativity uh, on the way to getting to a stage where you have more creative freedom or is it something to do with what's actually happening now with the arts? I think it's always been a part of the arts, right? I mean, going all the way back to the original like patronage systems mm, of, mm. of Renaissance and medieval artists, uh, it's always been a, a bit of a trade-off of having to sometimes make art that you don't fully believe in in order to get that little bit of room to make the stuff that you hopefully, you know, hope that hopefully speaks to who you really are. Um, and I think in my own life, you know, there have been opportunities that have come my way that, that I've had to, to say, no, thank you, I, that does not serve me at all. And it's just craven commercialism. Um, you know, and the, the sort of result of that is that there have been some really lean months in my life. But I think what the trade-off is, is that you get to make art that, you know, has some integrity to it. And mm. you're always having to sort of balance how hungry you are versus <laughs> uh, the art that means the most to you. But yeah, I think in every artist's life and every time period since the very beginning there, we've always had to negotiate the, the tension between the artist and the market. And that's, you know, that's just the, the nature of the endeavor. <laughs> um, you've said as well that the sort of reviewers, particularly at the moment, seem to be very obsessed about personal identity mm. and those sort of the, the writers who, who are writing into that um, uh, and that you are not so interested in that but I wonder whether at events like these where you get to meet readers and where readers get the chance to ask you questions whether they have a slightly better engagement with the sort of themes that you feel that you're mm. really writing about. Yeah I think what's been what's always so magical about meeting readers is that you realize how many different ways there are to read your book mm. or or for anyone to read a book and you know there are some readers who come to my work because they feel seen in, in some way that has something to do with their personal identity or even things that they've experienced and there are sometimes people who have nothing in common with you uh, sort of on paper biographically who read something and you know who read something in what you've written and they recognize some part of their own lives and maybe that's maybe that's all we're ever doing is sort of looking for glimpses of recognition and I always love that though when when people who have nothing in common with me read something I've written and they think ah I, I know what that experience is like that yeah. sort of like strangeness of feeling alone in the world yeah. um, and so yeah, I, I always love it when the readers come with their own uh, their own read of the book because it teaches me something new about the text. Mm. Um, the last time I saw you, we were filming a little shelfie video mm -hmm. in Piccadilly, and anybody who watches that, I think, might be surprised at the some of the influences for your work were sort of quite a bit older than they might maybe expect. And you've spoken about your love of nineteenth-century writers, uh, and recently you spoke about. Uh, the morality of Graham Greene's writing. Mm. And I was really interested to know maybe a little bit more about those influences, what it is about those writers that you find inspires you so much in what you're writing now. Yeah, I think what, I've, what I'm drawn to um, in writers right now is a sense of people writing out of belief systems and writing into some, some deeper sense of the universe's orderliness, I feel like that idea has gone drastically out of favor mm. for reasons both good and, and bad. Um, and, and I think it's nice to read work that, is, that doesn't take as a given a kind of moral relativism, that, that you know, writing that ha where the author believes in something, and it may be something that I drastically disagree with, but it's nice to, to read writing that has moral conviction to it. It teaches you something about your own set of values 
and and different ways to, to sort of be in the world. And so yeah, I'm drawn to Graham Greene, but also to the 19th century. It feels like that's all they were doing in the 19th century, sort of <laughs> trying to hash out who was right and who was who was wrong. And whereas I feel like today, you know, no one really cares who's right or who's wrong. It's who's loudest right. that matters most. And and I just find that really, honestly, like very boring. <laughs> Well, we should look forward to your very quiet uh, but moralistic novel inspired yes. by Graham Greene. I actually live near to where he uh, lived and, and sort of grew mm. up and had a real phase of reading Graham Greene novels and found them, as you say, morally fascinating. Whether you agree with the moral standard or not, it's sort of, there's always something of substance there. Yeah, he's, he's so such a, I think people have this idea of him as being a, I don't know, like a, like a, I don't know what they, it's just not very accurate to my experience of reading because when I read him I find his books deeply funny and also very strange yeah. and, and so unsettling yeah. and it blows my mind that those books were as popular <laughs> as they were because they are so strange. <laughs> Excellent. Well, listen, Brandon, I don't want to hold you up any longer. You have an event to get to, but thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. And last on my list before heading back down to London was Kay Patrick who is, of course, named as one of Grant's best of young British novelists earlier this year. Kay, Hi. I want to say congratulations, first of all, on being named one of Grant's best of young British novelists. Thank you very much. I'm imagining that publishing a debut is enough of a whirlwind, but I'm presuming <laughs> that has made it even more so. Uh, yes, that is like the kind of, I don't know, I made lots of jokes at the time, which probably sounded very ungrateful, which is that when you write a debut, I think you in the months before you're like yeah I want it to be like really great and everyone see it and then when it actually comes down to it like no no one look at this book no one read this book no one go your book so when that happened like within I think it happened I got announced within what the month of the, my book coming out yeah. so it, it's a few eyes on you that you weren't expecting and it really you're not no one ever is ready for that I think especially when it's a whole book that you've written it's yeah. quite terrifying and presumably of course when people are offering their opinions on your work <laughs> and there's even more scrutiny i presume with granter uh i think i think so i was talking to some some of the other guys who are on the list and i think that yeah there's a lot there's a lot more scrutiny is probably the right word and i think everyone with the grants list is always waiting to jump on it a bit as well yeah. but i think with the book i mean i've been very lucky i'm like touching wicker because there's yeah. no wood but touch wicker uh had some really lovely reviews so i was able to breathe within a few days of the book coming out, which is nice. I was like, I just want someone to say one nice thing and then I'll be really happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know how you feel about the term prose stylist, but mm -hmm. you have made some really clear choices in Mrs. S. And I yes. wondered if, if you might be able to say a little bit about why you made those choices, what, what you're hoping to do stylistically with the book. Um, do you know, I keep saying at different events that it is really odd. I don't remember making any of course, when you're writing the book, you're not consciously making decisions or trying to do something stylistically. I think yeah. that's where it can... I mean, sometimes it works. Um, I think for a novel, or for this novel anyway, it didn't really work. And so thinking about the book in retrospect has been really interesting. And I remember now, when I... The first thing I ever wrote of Mrs. S was a sex scene because if they didn't work, then the book, of course, right. wouldn't work at all. So I started... It's almost like you have to practice that version of writing as well. So I experimented with a few different ways of doing it. And what emerged out of that rehearsal, I guess, was this very immediate first-person narrative that was also incredibly detail-heavy. Um, and it was the best thing that worked for that kind of sex scene. So the style really emerged from there. And then I took it into the, you know, the prose that surrounded the sex, obviously, as well. Um, I didn't realise it would be such a statement because you know I didn't even think anyone would ever do that, that at the time I had no 
book deal though was nothing. It was just me alone, uh, hoping. So it was, yeah, it's funny thinking about it backwards. But now that I've, it's with the second novel, I've done the same thing where I've written the core parts of the novel first and seen what framework suits what it is that's being communicated, yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. And it, it seems to be quite a practical way of working. I guess like you write one book, you have no idea how you write books yet. So I'm still <laughs> figuring that out as well. <laughs> it's interesting because I was going to ask about the, the sort of the writing of the sex or the, or the creating of that sort of atmosphere because it, there is this sort of hot summer feeling. Mm-hmm. We're, of course, it's mid-August now. But we're in a hot yurt. We're in a hot yurt. <laughs> um, but I, I, sort of writing sex, is it as technical as it can be, for example, when you're filming a sex scene, for example? They're not very sexy. They are just sort of technical exercises. Um, no, I think probably it's really different because uh, it's just you when you're writing. And I think you're, you're not as... You have to be responsible, but it's a different kind of responsibility, I think. Mm. You know, if you're filming a sex scene... There's lots of different people in the room. It's like uh, there's safety at hand, there's consent, there's all sorts of things going on. Whereas with writing, some of those things are true, uh, but you have the benefit of a total privacy, mm. um, which is what makes it all the more extraordinary when the book comes out because, of course, you lose that privacy that you had. Um, and I think that's a bit that I found maybe the most bizarre, but that I probably was the most prepared for because I was like, if I'm going to write this book, I then have to be able to stand by these scenes, yeah. I have to be able to, how would I feel, for example, I read one of these scenes in public, which I actually haven't done yet. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it's, yeah, probably very different. But then I've never filmed a sex scene before, so I don't actually know. <laughs> don't rule it out, but yeah, make sure you go into it with your eyes open. Yeah. Um, and then obviously coming to an event like this, uh, meeting readers and, and hearing their responses to the mm-hmm. book directly, what has that been like? As you say, because you come into it unprepared. Uh, that's been the best, the best part. I feel like I want to practice being a person in those situations. Like I'm, uh, I'm not very good or I haven't been very good at like owning up to the book and Mm. kind of going, oh no, I'm proud of myself and I wrote a good book. I don't think that's probably the first time right now that I've ever said that and I'm only saying it because I'm not having to actually say it. Uh, but it's been incredible. Like I was talking to another author about this yesterday, how for me really almost the nicest thing has been places like Instagram or Twitter and obviously people feel um, like it's, an, it's a nice way to get in touch when you're saying something nice obviously because I'm able to digest it and take it on without having to be incredibly awkward and make somebody else feel really awkward as well <laughs> so that's been a bit that I didn't, I didn't really see that coming I guess like uh, and that's been really amazing just seeing anybody care about the book at all is still something that I'm not used to uh, and I hope I never get used to it I think if I get used to it then I would, probably would have fundamentally changed as a person. Yeah. So it's nice to always be surprised by that. Um, and I think in some ways, because the most important thing to me was that the book felt real to the people that it needed to feel real to. It felt, you know, you can't ever hope to represent, and I say this a lot in um, events as well, people ask about butch or trans representation. It's like, I'm only this tiny percentage of what that experience is, which is yeah. like a full range experience. It isn't singular. Yeah. Um, and I'm really, I feel very relieved, but also grateful that uh, that something seems to have resonated in that too. Because I guess that probably going into the book was the most important thing for me. Um, so that's been kind of amazing. 
So there you have it, a little whirlwind tour of the Edinburgh International Book Festival, which will be ending soon, but there are book festivals all over the place. And the only advice I can give you as somebody who's been here for a couple of days is go and see authors. It's always fascinating to hear them speak and you'll always discover more books that you'll want to read. And who can argue with that? Take care.